0: Hello and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of Canada, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Eric Williams, Eric is a Wapeituan, Dakota, living in the Lake Traverse Reservation in South Dakota. Eric is currently an employee at the Sissa Niwapita but this seemingly dedicated civil servant has a backstory and creative side that is so fascinating. He was the youngest DJ at KSWS 89.3 FM, a radio station with the tribe in the late 90s and early 2000s, and later with KXWS, a tribal radio station currently at the Sissa Niwapita his music knowledge, his cultural respect, is so on par with any radio personality that you'll see in films today. He was a combination of John Trudell's Randy Pion and Smoke Signals, and Northern Exposure's Chris Steven, portrayed by John Corbett. He's an encyclopedia of music and pop culture, yet thoughtful and well-read. Eric is one of the most brilliant radio DJs ever to have come out of South Dakota. Now, for full disclosure, Eric is a relative of mine. We actually co-hosted a radio show together back in the early 2000s. And because we're relatives, it actually might be a little difficult to distinguish our voices from one another. But rest assured, there are two people in the studio as we recorded this. So with that said, let's jump into this conversation with Eric. Eric, thank you so much for joining us at Five playing Questions. It's really exciting to have you here. Thank you very much. Uh, so if you could... Uh, Introduce yourself, tell us a little bit
1: about yourself and your background, and where you're from. Uh, basically, that means in Dakota, is my name is Owlboy, and I greet you with a, uh, a heartfelt, warm handshake. Uh, my name is Eric V. Williams. I am from the sisseton Wapitan oyate Dakota Nation, and um, I'm here today to uh, uh Visit basically. Uh, my background is I am uh, currently employed with our tribe in the gaming field. But before that, I spent six years as a radio personality and disc jockey. I did a lot of programming. I uh, did a lot of selection of playlist, and basically had to bring to the table lots of um, how can you say it? A bit of personality but you had to bring the entertainment and you still had to be yourself. So that's a little bit of my background when it came to DJing. And basically, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I, I was scared to do it first, but I got passionate as a, I, I got more comfortable. And eventually it became a great passion where I was able to just sit down and um, get behind a mic, not be nervous, just be yourself. And pretty soon that became the personality. Uh, I eventually adopted the moniker on air as DJ A-V or DJ Eric V and uh, did it for six years. And here we are today talking about it. Hmm.
0: In those days, you were you were younger. You started off pretty young on that.
1: Yes. Um, basically, I started out um, at a whim, really. Uh, I started out at 16 and by the time I was 19, I wrapped up my first stint. Many, uh, nearly a decade later, <laughs> I think it was actually, I want to say, nine years later. I went back, and I did it again in my 30s, and it was a little bit of different. It was a there was a little bit of difference from the first time around to the second time. We went from the 1990s to the 2010s. Technology had really changed in that time, and uh, it was quite a quite an eye-opening experience in that decade of being away from the radio. Was it just technology that was different, or was the culture different? I would say a fair serving of both. The The technology has certainly changed. Uh, we went from cart radio, we went from having tapes, reel-to-reels, we even had a record player at the old station, uh, to basically sitting down and uh, lining up your MP3s and playing off an MP3 list. Uh, that was quite culture shock i mean back in the day you'd bring your cd you would bring piles and piles of cds from home and now i'm walking in with an mp3 player and a playlist but yeah that's just the scratching the surface of the background um initially i got interested in music mostly through my parents and then siblings and then i grew my own eclectic tastes um i started in 1999 at a tribal radio station, our tribal radio station at the Citizen uh, Wapitan Sioux Tribe. Uh, the station was called KSWS, 89.3 FM, the voice of the Dakota Nation. Uh, the station began in the very early 90s. Uh, my Uncle Clyde, Joe Williams, and a number of people back home <clears throat> were very instrumental in getting the station up, up and going. And that was quite inspirational for me. You know, I always heard about it in the background as a young man. I'm like, that's kind of cool, you know. I wonder if someday if I could if I could check it out, you know. And it just happened to be fate that I ended up working there. First as a volunteer, which I did two and a half years of volunteer work there. So you get paid for two and a half years. <laughs> two and a half years of volunteer work. The last couple months I got paid before, uh, unfortunately, KSWS uh, became defunct in February of 2002, um, sadly because of uh, decisions that were made there. But it was, well, let's a be gr- frank, it's mismanagement, mismanagement, and, and, what, yeah. and I was going to touch on the mismanagement part of it, but basically they, they, they had mistakes that <clears throat> are cardinal sins in the radio business and you can't have those mistakes. You have to be, um, on the ball with this kind of stuff. So the regulatory side with radio, you got to know what you're doing in it and you have, you have to have, um, you just have to have your business together. That's the bottom line with it. Um, so from 99 to 2002, I started off, so here's the story, background with the story. Um, throughout the 90s, I'd hear K, KSWS, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, they had some um, bumpers, bumper music, intros, outros with Jackie Bird, um, the intros, outros with the, some of the station personalities, and they were good. I mean, these people had great voices for radio. There was uh, Harold Bernard uh, Mike LaBelle, um, uh, Bobby the Renegade Eagle. Um, I'm trying to run through some names here. Brian Renville, Dan Renville, Whitney Renville. There's some really, there, these people just have great voices for radio and they had the touch. And one of the guys that also worked there is, uh, the late great Sal, uh, Sylvester Sal, good teacher. And I want to touch on him a little later. Um, every Saturday, you know, we'd get this, uh, sta- the station kind of came in shaky, especially in the mid-90s. when we, <laughs> The station's power was pretty low, and we're talking 15 watt. I mean, this is just a local 10, 15-mile station, but you could pick it up some days. We pick up the station, and on Saturdays, they played rock and roll. Well, and when we get to this part of it, um, the rock and roll inspired me. You know, the rock and roll was like, man, they're playing the stuff that I grew up on 10 years earlier. You know, as a little kid. I want to go check this out. So one day, we're sitting at... Um, IHS we're waiting for my dad he has an appointment my mom's like hey do you want to go to the station and I'm kind of intimidated I'm like mm, do I really want to go out there ah why not mom it's Saturday it's boring let's go check it out this is in the fall of 98 I want to say October September 98 somewhere in there we go out and um Ann German nice friend of mine uh, she's no longer with us Ann was working that day and she was happy she, you know, she's friends with mom going way back we walk in the door, and it's kind of a corridor. You walk in, you take a right. There's a couple offices. There's Ann's office. And she's like, yeah, come on in. Sal's on the air. We walk into the studio. We stand at the outer door, which, you know, is separated into the studio. There's a control room, and there's a big red on-air sign. And the sign on the wall says, stop on air. Don't proceed. It's like, oh, wow. We waited. And as soon as Sal wrapped up talking, he let us in. And he basically asked who I was, and how I like the show, and and I was like, man, this is pretty cool, man. You know, like I get to see a uh, radio DJ up close to talk to somebody. Now, this isn't the first time I've been exposed to radio. Back in 95, we had a a class trip in in, uh, middle school, and we got to go to KBWS up in Eden. Now, they're a 100,000-watt station, and one of the kids actually got to go on air. We got to go in the studio. I think the kids did some bumpers or something, but just to see an actual radio station in uh, working order was like, wow, this isn't TV, this isn't the movies, this is actually, they can hear us, you know, like, hundreds of people are listening, or more, so that was inspirational, I was like, wow, this is what these guys do, that doesn't seem too bad, okay, great, a few months pass, and it's, uh, March of 99, and I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna go see if I can get a radio job, I randomly just take my car, I drive over to the station, and working are Harold, Bernard, and Mike and. Uh, Harold's like, again, yeah, no problem, sign up, sign up, we might have a slot for you, or you can train, or whatever, we'll, we'll teach you a few things, and I sat down for my interview with Mike, and he's basically, why do you want to get into radio? You know, he's a pretty, pretty forward guy, and I'm like, well, uh, I think it's a fun career, he's like, be sure you have something to fall back on, <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, but he's like, yeah, no, um, this is a fun gig, but make sure you have something to fall back on, uh, you, it's, it's what you make of it, and how you present yourself professionally. So, I am now into the process of becoming a volunteer DJ. The first month, I did not say a word on air. I simply played some music. Now, I'm 16 going on 17 years old. I have 30 CDs. I got to fill six hours. How do you do that? Well, you better start saving. You better start finding ways to get some cds or music or tapes or something i had tapes so i was actually uh, running um uh 90 minute tapes of whatever bands i had at the time and like mixtapes basically well not so much mixtapes this had to be it couldn't be something you put together you actually had to have a commercial object Uh you had to have the tape um otherwise uh, it wouldn't sound very good so I try to avoid that as much as possible. Uh, you could do a mixed CD. This came a, little, a couple of years later. We, they didn't have, I don't believe the station had yet. Um, they may have had it, but I didn't have access to it. The ability to burn CDs, and this was just coming into play. I mean, to make a CD from A to B or whatever uh, was still just in its infancy. So 99 is a uh, turning point in my life because here I am. A 17-year-old kid, I'm sitting at a radio desk, I'm trying to, you know, man the station. I had a couple guys with me the first few times. The third time, I'm by myself, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, how do I do this? I'm in control of 15 watts. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> well, still, people can hear you. The phone rings. You have to be able to answer the phone. The people uh, that call in sometimes are not the nicest people. Uh, this is back in the days when radio still had to have news. There's still community announcements. There's still things that needed to be said every 30 minutes, every 15 minutes. Every There had to be a structure that we had to follow. So you go from an undisciplined teenager to, okay, I need to be on top of these things. It, it, it teaches you a lot pretty quick. So that was the, f- the first go-around in radio um, broadcast for six years Learned a lot from it. Learned that in Indian country especially, you know, radio is still an important medium to this day. They have, yes, you have social media. You have Facebook, which a lot of people rely on Facebook. Uh, Twitter is harder because it's such a, uh, a narrow audience there. You know, radio still matters. Um, even to this day, a lot of information, a lot of sports entertainment, a lot of things that go out through the radio is still Important, and I think that if it's not, uh, if it's not really, if the seed isn't taken care of, the bean plant can't grow. You have to be there. You have to take care of it, and that's kind of where um, I kind of stand with it. I mean, you know, it's still important in Indian country. I think we need to keep watering it. So, so who were and who are your biggest influences? My biggest influence is um, obviously, and it's cliched, and it's a bit of it's a bit of an obvious one, but it's my family. It's my mom and dad, my uncles, my aunts, especially. Um, Their tastes, kind of their, some of their hard work, their direction, really shaped who I was. Uh, My family, my cousins, you know, my brothers and sisters, they all had different uh, influencing factors that I can look back upon now. And say, that gave me an idea. That gave me an idea to go this direction, that direction, that direction, whatever direction. And it also taught me to go directions I needed to go as I matured and grew up. Um, I didn't know this until, I want to say, 99 or 2000, that my father, his name is Lars Williams, and uh, he's a hereditary uh, chief of the Sioux, the first male-born chief of the Huacbatuan band um so we descend from uh um the chief of the Wakpato band which is Wanata Shiaka this is 150 years ago so this is where this man comes from uh very eloquent in speaking very how do you want to say a wordsmith he he could say things and he can he could put things into a uh, parlance of our times he could put things into words that were like wow you know that's That's really, really um, well-spoken. And I often wondered where this came from. Well, he gave his first speech in 1936-37 as a child speaking at Christmas, uh, sitting in the pew of the church. It's Christmas time at St. John's Church, winter, storming outside, and all the men are getting up to speak. His grandfather Moses, his father Dan, uh, that's my grandpa, and uh, my great-grandfather, and they got up to speak, you know, and they had their speech, and then pretty soon, you know, Dad's like, well, "I wonder if I should speak," and he's looking under the Christmas tree, and he sees this big present, just a big box. He's like, "I wonder if I speak, maybe I'll get that present." Okay, he gets up to speak. Now Dad tells he re, he retold the story. He didn't he didn't really remember what he said. He just he said some words about Christmas, but everybody applauded, and we're pretty happy. This little four-year-old, five-year-old guy got up there to talk. And he sits down. And he, he's waiting, and they're passing out the presents. And pretty soon he doesn't get one. And he looks under the tree and the big present's gone. And he's, he's feeling pretty down and feeling kind of sad. And he turns around. Somebody taps him on the shoulder. He turns around. There's Grandpa Moses and Grandpa Dan. And they have, are holding the big box. And they give it to my dad. And inside of it is an electric train. Now in 1936, during the Depression for a, a young native boy, an electric train That's a pretty big deal, you know. So that was his first speech. In time, as he grew up, he honed those skills. Uh, After he was out of the service, he went uh, to—I think it was the University of Memphis, maybe—or yeah, I don't want to extrapolate. But he went to college in Memphis, Tennessee. If it was—I don't know if it's one of the schools on their tech schools, or if it was the U of M Memphis. But he went to school for radio broadcasting. And he goes to school for radio broadcasting, and he gets his FCC license. I still have this license to this day. I didn't bring it, unfortunately, today, but I could have read it to you. Two of the guys he went to to class with, he was actually in class with these guys for however long it was, was Wink Martindale, the uh, announcer for Elvis. He was a big TV personality in the South, and then in the 50s and 60s in California. The other classmate of his was Johnny Cash. So all three of these guys, this is right after Korea, these guys are in a um, radio class. And this, these guys all get their license to broadcast. So dad gets his license, and he does radio broadcasting and announcing all around Memphis. And wherever else, West Memphis, Arkansas, all around the South, Shreveport, Louisiana, all these places, wherever dad was doing this this work. And he's, he's a young man. He's in his early 20s at this point. So... He tells me these stories as a, as a kid, and I was a teenager, and I didn't, like again, I didn't find this out until like '99. And he pulls out this card, and it's it's faded, but it's it's there, and it's U.S. government FCC license. I'm like, wow, Dad was on the radio, you know? Okay, all right. So he says, you can do it, son. You can you can handle the radio. This ain't no big thing. I'm like, all right, that's a pretty good influence. I I, I think I can handle this. The other influence was my mom. My mom and her love of rock and roll, her love of Elvis, of the Beatles, of Anne Murray, of all these things as a kid I listened to, you know, the Bee Gees, uh, 60s, 70s music, all these fun things, you know. Uh, Mom knew the words to all these country songs, you know, all this stuff growing up. And it's like, okay, you know, that really shapes you because the memory you make with that person, the memory you have with that person, you know, really sticks with you for Decades, You know, I remember singing songs with mom, the Judds, you know, 1986. We're singing some song. I remember mom singing, you know, uh, <laughs> here's a funny bit. Uh, she'd always walk around into this day. She'll she'll randomly come up and she'll sing a couple bars or a line or a couple notes from a song. And one of them is um they don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. And I never understood what she was talking about as a child. This is 35 years ago. As a kid, as a teenager, until I was about twenty years old, and they had access to the internet, and I Google it. I mean, this is when Google is in its infancy, and I Google. They don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee, and here it's a Merle Haggard song from the mid mid late '60s. And why Mom stuck with singing that, I don't know, but it was comical. It was memorable. She still does it to this day. And it's one of those things that. That's a cool song. Now it was an anti, anti-establishment song. It was quite conservative, which I didn't think mom was. But it's one of those things that sticks with you. It's influential. To this day, I have a passion for classic country that's coming back, you know, as a as a as a, a former DJ, if you want to call it. Those are the influences I remember. You know, influences that kept going as a kid. So here we go. Um, it's 1985, <clears throat> and we're living in this tribal house, HUD house out in uh, the village of Crawfordsville. Now these villages are pretty recently built. They built them in the early seventies. So these homes are fairly new. And I have, uh, six other siblings that live with us. I have seven total other siblings, my brother and five sisters and my mom and dad. And I'm three years old. We're living in this house. We're seven miles from town in town. The town of Sisseton has a movie theater and has a drive-in. It's the summer of 85. We all load up in the car. It's my brother, my sisters. I don't know f- which ones went. But we go to town. We go to the movie Back to the Future. And it's on the big screen. I mean, there's fire. There's lightning. There's cars flying over. There's all this stuff. And in it is 50s music, which I'm used to hearing on the radio with my parents. And all of a sudden, there, at the end of the movie, there's the Huey Lewis song, Power of Love. And it's blaring, and it's horns, and it's screaming, and there's a car flying at the screen, and as a three-year-old kid, that sticks in your brain like, whoa, okay. That sound, that song, that era, stuck with me. Van Halen, my brothers always listen to Van Halen, Motley Crue, hard rock and cool stuff. My sister, she listens to the Smiths, or she listens to the Cure, or she listens to you know some alt alt rock stuff from that time. My other sister's listening to pop. I mean, they're listening to Glenn Fry or the Eagles or Miami Vice, which is like very influential as a little kid. You're like, wow, that song sounds so cool on the radio. My parents, I don't know if they'd approve any of this stuff, but they'd sing it once in a while or they'd remember it. And then, you know, you hear like uh, Aretha Franklin, like the 60s stuff, you know, that, but they're making songs in the 80s, right? it sticks with you it's influential it you know it just it gets imprinted in your brain here where the story is going to go i loved all that stuff as a kid but you know we also had to listen to the country stuff we also had to listen to this these other things as a young man you know as i'm growing up okay you know times are changing that music's kind of fading away you know those hair bands are kind of popular Eh, not my thing you know My parents are still listening to country or whatever. We'd go on these long trips. Mom and dad had a Patsy Cline tape. They had a, a Mozart tape. They had a mix tape of like 70s, you know, kind of whatever bands. I don't know what they were, but those three tapes always got played. When we lost radio signal, driving to northern Minnesota out in the middle of nowhere, they'd pop those tapes in. We had something to listen to. That stuck with me. That was influential. Those things stayed with me for many, 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 many years. By the early '90s, it's grunge and it's kind of rap, and eh, we're we're growing up. You know, I'm a, a young kid at this point. Eh, 10, 10, to 11, 12 years old, whatever. And you want to be with cool kids, you know, you want to listen to like Vanilla Ice. Eh, you know, that was a couple years ago. That was eh, he's kind of out. Let's listen to some rap, eh. or oh, let's listen to some Nirvana. Okay, well, you know that that hair metal stuff is kind of going away. Let's listen to whatever's on pop radio. So the local pop radio station started filtering in. But we didn't always get them for where we lived at. So, what was on? What was nearby? The local tribal radio station. So, what we turned to? We turned to eighty-nine point three, KSWS, because it's local. Or you got the country station, or you got the oldie station. You had three choices. Pick what you w- Pick what you could. That's all you get. And we didn't have a lot of access to tapes. Not a lot of access to CDs. Um, and, and that's that's how it was for a few years until I had access to CDs. A couple of years later, I think we got into the um, 30 CDs for 10 cents scam. Remember those kind of deals in the 90s? And I, we, I got into one of those with one of my sisters got me hooked up with, like, 30 CDs, which they weren't even the great CDs. You couldn't pick the good ones. You had to pick kind of the... BMG. The BMG. <laughs> you had to pick the BMG. Ugh. And it was, you know, pick 30 CDs, but next month we're going to bill you 60 bucks. You know, So I ended up with a bunch of, like, really bad technotronic and this stuff that was like who's listening to this they didn't even have the good song either they had like a bunch of european releases and it's like okay i need to save money how do i save money babysitting kids or day labor i need to save up as i grew up you know and find music that was influential well finally in 95 uh, a high watch station comes up here in fargo and it's uh, the local pop station i don't want to plug anything without plugging it we could pick it up at my house. And we live 90 miles from Fargo. Wow. I We don't have access to MTV. I mean, I got to see MTV a few times as a kid. But to hear, like, new pop music as a, as a teenager now, holy cow. Like, this is pretty pretty cool. You know, now I feel like I'm with the group. If you didn't get that, it was country. I rode the bus for 10 years listening to country. I didn't have a passion for it at the time I don't know how many did it wasn't my thing but here we are listening to country uh, I gotta have some pop music so now we're in the mid 90s <clears throat> um, I talked to my dad you know he's, he's starting to advance in age a little bit and I talked about his life and he's like you know what was really popular when I was a kid when I was a teenager your age was big band music Glenn Miller Artie Shaw uh, Tommy and Jimmy Dorsey those are big names my favorite band, he'd always say, was K. Kaiser. Now I didn't know any of this stuff. Like, what is he talking about? And eventually, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try this out. And I ended up getting a couple of big band tapes. Now this is right around the time of the swing revival, of the mid to late '90s. And I'm loving this stuff. Like, this just makes sense to me. Like, man, this just, you know, this is, oh, this is great. Like, who? Where was this stuff? You know? And it's just like it has these bop and jives and just jumps and. Screaming horns and and trap drums and just, you know, these pounding basses for, you know, 50, 60. At that point, 50, 60 year old jazz music. And it just sticks with me. And then in 96, a movie came out. I think the movie was Swingers. And all of a sudden, the swing revival happens. And I'm like, hey, I'm kind of ahead of the curve because this is all kind of cool stuff, you know. And then, like, the Rat Pack stuff comes back. And all these things are coming back in the 90s. And they're influencing me. They're imprinting on me. And it's making sense to me. Um, And then kind of get my mind blown again. Um, I'm going to step back for a second. It's 1986. I'm sitting in my parents' bedroom, and somebody left a tape and a Walkman in there. I don't know if it was my si- one of my sisters. And I'm like, you know what? Nobody's around. I'm going to listen to this. I put these little tiny foam headphones on with a little metal band around your head. I hit play, and the first song that plays is I Saw Her Standing There by The Beatles. And it's just one, two, three, four, ba, 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 ba. four-year-old, five-year-old kid. Like, what is this? Like, wow! And it's just you know, just da, da 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 da, you know. And I'm like, okay, that imprinted on me as a kid. It's 1995, and the Beatles anthology comes out, and I'm like, wow. Now I'd heard all this growing up. You know, I heard these 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 artists and these things growing up. Now it's it's like in my face. It's a CD. I can go people. I can go with the people and hear it from other people. And it's on the radio. And there's a new Beatles song on the radio. We're, wow, whoa, you know, this is the 30th anniversary of all this kind of stuff. 30th anniversary. Okay, 30th anniversary for anybody listening is um, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch right now. So enjoy your 30th anniversary with that. Let's hear the anthology. No, not, not Dog and Marky Mark, but hey. I was sitting here with my mind blown a three they, volume set. It's a three volume set. I was sitting here I'm like I'm saving every penny to go out and buy which I think at the time I could only afford two of the tapes because they were like 19.99. It was the Beatles 62 to 66. I never was able to buy the 66 to 70. But I played them out. I played them until the tapes couldn't play anymore because I couldn't afford the anthology, but I could listen to them every day on a tape player. I memorized every song. 8th grade year I play yellow submarine for a class load of kids and everybody's laughing and everybody's singing along and everybody's clapping and they're like, play it again. So we're all walking around the rest of the day and probably the rest of the week, everybody's singing yellow submarine. And it's like, who was it? It was Ringo. You know, and what was the yellow submarine? I don't know. They're all high. It was really fun. (laughs) Everybody was just enjoying this revival around, this is around 96 or so. It was influential. It stuck with me and all of a sudden it opens my eyes as a 15 year old kid now we're getting into we're getting closer to the radio years right Britpop happens now this is a i can i'm listening to rap i'm listening to the coolio i'm listening to the tupac i'm listening to all the biggie all these guys right i'm listening to the you know the dave grohl i'm listening to the foo fighters i'm listening to beck i'm listening to you know whatever you know what there's a couple country songs actually like i'm listening to mindy McCready. i'm listening to Uh, At at the time, you know, Clint Black. I mean, uh, my favorite, Joe Diffie. Like, Joe Diffie. This guy was just, man, you know. just He just didn't care. He just played that country. And, man, you listen back to some of those Joe Diffie songs, they just they tear at your heart. They make you want to sing with him. Joe passed to COVID last year. And he's just one of these artists that'll, he had that shining moment. It sticks with me as a kid. It influenced me. It imprinted on me. Here we are. It, Shania, Shania Twain Shania Twain This is about to happen So Shania is uh, I lo- I'm loving her She's great it Happens a couple of years ago I'm really in love with her After that <laughs> This is right before I start radio So These things influence me And of course It's my mom And she's singing These rock and roll songs She's singing this stuff From the 60s She's uh, You know At the time I really rejected 60s music Until I heard That anthology From the Beatles You know It's actually Kind of okay You know for a few years I was into fifty stuff. I was into the rock and roller. I was into Buddy Holly. Uh, Big Bopper. There's so many I can, Richie, lay, I can Richie name Valens, yeah. I mean, I can name all these guys that I listen to. And I'll tell you I'll go back to an, I'll go back to 1986. It's the stand by me soundtrack. Everybody has this stand by me soundtrack. It has a bunch of fifty songs on it. Stuff we listen to in the car, wherever we're going, right? This stuff imprints with you. It sticks with you. It influences you. We're into the mid to late 90s. And I'm into my own thing. I'm listening to this big band music because it's the 50th anniversary of World War II. I'm listening to rap. Like, eh, it'd be cool. Listen to cool rap, you know. I'm listening to all this stuff. And I'm wanting to do something with it. And every now and then, I'm really enjoying our traditional Powell music, too. Like, you know what? It just sounds good. I, mean, I remember riding my Auntie Becky's car and listening to Buddy Redbow, or I'm listening to uh, Keith Socola, or whatever, you know, in her citation or her, her Oldsmobile uh, Cutlass, you know, all these cars. And it's just like, all right, if she's jamming it, I can dig it too. That's all right. That's influential. That's going to stick with me forever. So jumping ahead it's 9899 i go to the radio station and what do i see stack of keith Sokola CDs stack of buddy redmo or whatever he had you know i was seeing all these artists i'm seeing all these things and i'm like all right you know what that's actually all right stuff I- i'm good with it you know you know i'm going to cut you off real quick <laughs> you know
0: why she played R- buddy Redbow? tell me <laughs> i'll tell you off air okay <laughs>
1: But yes. It's a good song. Hey, you know what? I learned some of those songs, and even in, in traditional Lakota and Dakota now, the translation with uh, 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 Butch Felix you know, with, hearing it, you know, sounded, sounded good. It's 98, and again, it's the summer of 98. We're weeks away from me visiting this radio station. And my siblings bust out this CD, and like, hey, you got to listen to these guys. I'm like, all right, you know now at this point I'm hanging with my brother we're listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan we're listening to BB uh, King I'm listening to Howlin' Wolf I'm listening to some pretty cool blues stuff I'm trying to get I'm expanding everything I do with music you gotta listen to these guys these guys are good alright alright <coughs> it's indigenous the band indigenous from Flandreau by way of uh, uh, Yankton you know we're, they're South Dakota, you know South Dakota band native guys and gal shout out to Wambody Washday a guest on this on this series <laughs> which i loved that podcast that was uh that was a great interview of the best episodes so i'm listening to these guys and i'm like holy cow like i'm hearing red house and that's one of the hardest songs ever i'm i'm hearing uh things we do which just shapes me it changes my direction i don't know what my identity is as a young person like what am i you know Am I this kid that's going to be on the radio, on native radio in a couple years? Am I this guy that's going to go off to college? Am I going to join the service? Am I just going to get a job? I don't know what I am. But I do know that I love the music I'm finding and that I see and hear. And I get the poster. I get the CD. These guys are awesome. Wow. Um, And this was in 98. I think this was 98. 98, 99, somewhere in there. I'm pretty sure it's 98. And... In my sister Lori's car, we drive around. She has this really cool car. And she's jamming these, uh, a couple of their, their first, their first release. And I think they had a, pre- I can't remember now if they had a pre-release or not. But it's just like, man, this is like, this is good, you know. And we go to, uh, it was one of the only places in the country that was showing, um, I believe at the time. I don't remember the theater now. I, I just don't remember the name of the theater. But it was uh, Smoke Signals. And that was such an eye opening experience to see a media uh, exposure of native people and life, modern life on, on the reservation, of what things were. I'm like, okay, all right, maybe I wanna be a part of this. Maybe I wanna, you know, get out there, another influence. So, skip ahead a few months. Here I am, starting out in radio. And I do three years of radio every weekend, volunteering until the last couple months. And as I do it more and more, I get more comfortable with my voice. I get more uh, okay to speak and entertain. By the time I'm done, this is in 2001, 2002, I'm taking on Sunday nights between 6 PM and 12 PM. The show was called the Sunday night mix with DJ Eric V and usually a guest host. And then I had my, my Tashi, my brother, Alfred, Alfred Seaboy and his, and the boys come down a uh, big shout out to the, the guys that used to come out to the station. Um, We'd play rap, or we'd play R&B, or we'd play eh, some pop hits, or whatever, you know, and they'd all hang out. And these guys all had aspiring careers of singing and, and entertaining. And by the time I get done, Sunday nights, I'm taking 60, 70, 80 calls a night for requests. I have an entire generation of, of young people that still, even to this day, like, hey, I remember when you on radio, I used to call in, yeah, yeah. I have the log books I still have them to this day the log of calls from all these numbers and all these songs and all these people and it was pages and pages and pages a night you couldn't get through you know I couldn't leave for a bathroom break I had to be on the console for six hours straight that was that era before MP3 before the internet before mass media exposure where you can just click on your Spotify I don't want to plug anything iTunes whatever you can click on whatever music you want to listen to now and have it at a fingertip or, or talk to your Alexa or whatever, and it'll speak to you and you can play whatever you want. This is in the era, I, I really call it the final era, of where you had a live DJ play you what you wanted, and you could shout out your friend's name. They don't really do that like they used to. You know, This is at the end of 2002. Influences. My brother Joe is a huge influence. You know, Great guy. Influenced me as a young man, and even to this day, I'm inspired by his hard work and passion. My brother, Lars Bryan. I'm inspired by his dedication to his family and the things he's done. All my sisters, and I can't single any one of them out. Karen, Rona, Donna, Steph, Carla, Lori. All of them have influenced me in ways with their music, their tastes, their just, you know, being able to buy me a CD or buy me a tape or something. Those things got me to this seat today, talking to you today on this podcast. And, of course, my mom and dad. They with their eclectic tastes, here I am today because of those things. Hmm.
0: So, you touched on, um, on that evening show. The, um... What was the name of the
1: show again? The Sunday Night Mix with Sunday DJ Eric V. 6, S- 6 p.m. to 12 p.m. 12 Sunday nights. Night. Call in the number 698 blah blah blah.
0: So what would happen then is... at the time I was in college, I was going to Vermillion and there were nights then where I would jump in the car and head North and I would stop up at the connection outside of Sisseton there. And I would get two large vanilla cappuccinos, cappuccinos. And it was, it was, it was gas station cappuccinos, you know, from the machine, sugary, hot mess. (laughs) In those styrofoam cups, and I would drive out to, to where the radio station was, and I want to talk about that in a little bit. And yeah. I'd roll in there, and it'd be midnight, because it took me about two and a half, three hours to get up to Sisseton from Vermilion. And I'd go in there, and you'd be closing up shop on your, your evening show.
1: The, the, yeah, the, the hot hits, the rap, whatever. And then we would start the second show. And I'm glad you touched on that. So, this happened in the summer of two thousand one. Into I did a little bit in two thousand two, but it kind of died out in the winter time. It was harder to do it, but that summer especially, um, we heard this song that year, and I remember you talking about it. I remember me finding it and playing a couple of versions of it, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. The song was "Black Coffee" by Bobby Darren. and "Black Coffee" is a torch song. And at the time, I torch for you know, yeah, girl here, girl there, whatever you know, you know how it goes. And I'm like, yeah, maybe she's listening. Yeah, maybe she's driving around. She drives around late. Maybe she's listening to my show. Well, what, do you, what do you know? Black Coffee. I'm play a few of these songs. Black Coffee. Yes. So the title of the show, which I never really officially titled it, because I couldn't call it After Hours. That was Whitney's show on Friday nights. Or it was a Thursday night. Something like that. So I called it Black Coffee, you know, for years. Like, yeah, it's the Black Coffee show or whatever. You know, I don't know if we really got to say it very much, but the, the ten times we probably did this, we would play jazz, torch songs, just... Different stuff. Miles Davis, um, Nora Dave Brubeck. I mean, yes, we played this stuff that was the really you know the passionate uh, '50s, '60s, '40s, all this stuff. You know, just passionate songs that you don't hear very often. You have to really dig for this stuff, but it had such heart, and it tore at you, and it just made you, oh man, you know that really, you know that really, just you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it was. Classy emo before emo was a thing, you know, and I, it was nothing emo. I mean, this was you know these these singers had a uh, a point. I mean, "Blues in the Night" by uh, I want to say Peggy Lee, maybe um, Frank Sinatra. You know, "Glad to Be Unhappy," uh, Sammy Davis Junior. E O Eleven. You know, Dean Martin. I mean, uh, "Christmas Blues." All these songs that were torch mm-hmm. got played Monday morning. I'm out of high school, so I'm good now. Monday morning from about 12 till about 2. I, we might have pushed some of those photos even later. Mm-hmm. And to my understanding and my remembrance, we actually had an audience. We had some people that tuned in late and they said, hey, man, this is, this is some good stuff. Like you're, you're playing some music that's really pulls at the heartstrings, you know? <laughs> well, it was, it was good
0: for me too because I, uh, I was going through a big heartbreak at that time. And so that music, in the middle of the night, was the perfect. It was just perfect.
1: Mm. I, I I played Sam Cooke, so I had a tape. I didn't have the CD of it at the time. I had my very first tape I ever bought, is Sam Cooke Greatest Hits from a place called Alco. I think you know what Alco is. <laughs> Alco is now a defunct department store back home, South Dakota and Minnesota. Um, small small, small town store. small town store. You know, yeah. just like a like a micro Walmart.
0: It's like a hardware. Clothing, clothing toys jewelry uh, auto, electronics everybody electronics. got electronics from this
1: place and it really was where as a kid i had access to some music the first tape i ever bought there was sam cook's greatest hits 4.99 bin well, it's all i could afford and i'd play uh i want to say it was cupid I would play, and this is on the Torch show, so, uh, the Torch, because I, I could play We had tape players. Um, there's a couple other ones. Uh, uh, Darling, You Send Me. And I'd play that at certain times. And it really just was the to- ultimate Torch song, you know. It was part of that repertoire, you know. You go through the breakups. You go through the pain. You go through the, oh, she's out there somewhere listening. Or, oh, he's out there listening to the ladies. He's out there listening. Mm -hmm. You know, she was out there listening somewhere. Maybe she's hearing this song tonight. Eh, maybe not. But whatever. It was a fun couple of hours.
0: If nobody's listening, great.
1: Do what you want. You could just, then, you had music
0: to listen to. And you couldn't get in-house speakers better than at the radio station.
1: It, the station had these amazing bass pounding sound systems. No, this was kind of the, the 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 bonus of working in a radio station. You could crank it all the way up. I mean, you could hear it a couple blocks away if you wanted, mm-hmm. and it sounded awesome. And that was part of the of the whole DJ experience of working at this place for the couple of years I was there. That was a fun show, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was one thing I did want to touch on was the
0: black coffee show being a creative person is never a f- it's not always a full-time job or it's not a consistent gig and things especially on reservations um are never perpetual things happen mismanagement happens um mistakes are made whether uh, or or intentional acts are made and things happen and i'm not implying that with ksws but ksws was a staple for the reservation for many years and suddenly it was gone. And I um there there wasn't it, it really I don't think in the public it was really clear what happened, you know, but I think we've sort of gotten used to this idea on the reservation where things just things don't last forever. Things just shut down. And you know, we, we always sort of roll our eyes and say, Oh, it's mismanagement by this or that. We, we want to blame somebody not really fully understanding what happened. And, and then that was it. It was gone for a few years. Correct. Yes. I, on, on my own personal side here, um, I had come back from army deployment and I had linked up with, a with nausea, the native American Journal association. Mm-hmm. And through that experience, um, I started researching how to start a radio station And on there, I had found um, contacts through NAJA, but then also through my research there of the FCC and the steps needed to take to get uh, a radio station set up again. And so I talked to some regional manager and it took a little bit of time to be able to establish myself with him. And I think once he knew I was with nausea um, that I was probably a little more serious than than probably just some, ran, some rando with a good idea. <laughs> he referred to KSWS as a pirate radio station. Correct, because yes. Because the FCC license expired. It was not renewed. And it carried on for a while until I believe uh, fines were threatened. It got shut down in it I mean, Basically, yeah. So. Um, and there was hesitancy to get it up and going again. And that's sort of where I exited the conversation because I, it was beyond my means to be able to do so. Right.
1: So, without extrapolating on things I don't know about, mm-hmm. long story short, you know, I, I'm got, <clears throat> I get hired on full time November two thousand one, and I'm doing you know three months of this. I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, it's, it's not it's base pay. I mean, back in those days, there wasn't much money. But to touch on something you talked about, and we'll touch on this in just a second. There's an art to making a playlist and this uh john uh Cusack mentions it in, in the film high fidelity there's a there's a way to make a playlist to make it flow you know mm. so there's a little bit of art to it um basically i pulled the plug i was the dj on air that night that got the notice hey we got to shut this off at 6 p.m tonight just tell them we'll be back someday or we'll be back or we'll you know we'll talk to you again soon Pull the plug, pull the transmitter plug, and I'm like, "What?" You know, and so yeah, I literally had to pull the plug out of the wall to shut the transmitter off. What was the last song you guys played? I probably played Pink, or I probably played. Uh, you know what? That's a great question. I'd have to look it and see if I still have the playlist from that night. Um, I hope you didn't go out on Pink. You know what? <laughs> There's gonna be a party somewhere. Whatever it was, I don't. I don't really recall anymore. That's that's actually a great question. <laughs> um, but it was something I know I threw a message in there as my last song. Um, I know it was, it was a message. Song, I, so I'm sure you pain. did. Yeah, there yeah. was a message in there. I'm like, really, you know? But it went under, and it went under just because people missed the mark. I'm not going to name names. That's not what I do. But hey, you know what? It happened. It happened for a reason. The reason was somebody somebody didn't key their man. You know, somebody didn't uh, you know cover the wide receiver running down the sideline. Somebody didn't do their job. You know, or something or whatever. And here we are. We're talking about it to this day. But I remember pulling the plug and thinking, well, this is it. And, eh, you know. Which is unfortunate
0: because the radio station went... So, the radio, radio station was initially set up at an orphanage. with Orphanage. Yes. The former with Orphanage. Yes. And... In the last, I think the summer before it got closed down, it moved to the Robbie Center in Sisseton, yep. which was a new studio. I mean, it was an older building, but it was a refreshed studio. It was the two studio
1: spaces. Oh, it actually. was great. So there's two studios there was a recording studio and there was a broadcast booth, and we had a conference room, and we had all the luxuries of, of an actual business. You know, I mean, before it was, but it was really small. I mean, you walk in, and it was just a little office here, a little office there. We shared a bathroom with a couple of the programs. You know, it was small at Tecolote, and Tecolote had its its issues, mm-hmm. uh, quite a number of them. But getting into Joe Robbie Center and in, in having the radio station there it was like feeling like you know what? I have a place of business. I can go here and actually do a job and sound like a professional announcer, professional DJ, and do my bit. And you're in the middle of town. In the Middle of town, like this is so convenient. You know, I'm literally I don't have to worry about driving on bad roads or falling out, falling sliding off into the ditch or something. I'm in a town. You know. You get there, you get to notice that you gotta shut off, and it's just it feels like a kick in the head. It's just like, what, you know, what's going on here? Okay, well we'll figure this out, or our radio board will figure it out, or all our executives in executive leadership positions will figure this out. Well, basically, they couldn't do anything about it. I argued, now again, I'm a kid. You know, I'm a young man. Well, I'm not a kid, but I'm a young guy. I'm a you know, teenage guy. I'm saying, hey, don't we have sovereign immunity? Don't we have the right to protect our own? Don't we have the right to broadcast as a sovereign nation? So I made these points. made it to my dad, and my dad said, well, you have to follow the rules. You have to follow through, even if we are a sovereign nation. There's still regulations. There's still things that we need to adhere by, and that's, again, he was a licensed FCC broadcaster. He knew what he was talking about. So it ended. It ended in 2002. My career took a completely different path a couple months later, and we'll talk about that if you like, would like to or not. Uh, I got into gaming, and I spent the next nine years in the gaming field. I eventually would go back to it, and I've been in the gaming field now 20. Mm-hmm. Um, Indian gaming is an amazing thing. Uh, it's provided opportunity Uh, It's provided entertainment. There are are issues with it, but it's provided a lot of people with jobs. Um, I've been very fortunate and very lucky. I've worked very hard in this industry for 20 years to gain the skills I have and the ability to communicate and get my job done. Communication is absolutely critical in this field. I gained a lot of it through radio, you know. So (sighs) developing a career, I guess, from all this, you know, one of the old mentors said, "Have something to fall back on," and he was right. Um, unless you are, unless you're going to be wild and zany and be the next Howard Stern or Wendy Williams or whoever on Hot ninety seven, or if you're going to be Ryan Seacrest and or uh, uh, Dick Clark or whoever and, and get your feet in the door and then broadcast Top forty, whatever it is, you know, <clears throat> if you're entertaining voice, radio is difficult. It is a gig that, you know, you have to know what you're doing. You have to have experience. You have to have some courage to speak to a lot of people and be able to take a lot of criticism. Um, I did. There was times I got run through the ringer <laughs> for playing things and doing things on the radio. Uh, I didn't think I would necessarily come out on the other end okay. You know, I was like, ooh, gee, wow. But you do it. You do it through experience. Sometimes you get the opportunity to go back. And that did happen. So here's part two of the story. Um, in 2011, we were granted. I think it was 2011. The Citizen uh Oyate, which is you know the Dakota Nation, was granted another FCC license. Now again, I'm not a manager at any point. I'm working my in my gaming job at this point but i show up to a volunteer meeting cuz they want to hire some more staff and they've been on the air for about a week or two or you know a little while and i say hey uh, i'm talking to the, the manager and i'm like hey man um, any chance some of us old DJs can get our get our feet wet again he's like sure what are you going to play i don't know i'll play uh, big, i'll play big band and and some 40s uh, stuff you know that's he's like yeah why not you can play that um can I play some 80s alternative or 80s pop? And he's like, sure. So one night of the week or certain nights of the week or an hour here you can do this show and then a couple nights of the week you can do, or you know, one night of the week you can do the other show. Well, we ended up combining it into one night. And it was a Tuesday digital throwback show or something. And I did this for three years. But at this point, the world had changed. And I think we earlier we talked about this. People have access to, you know, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Alexa, all these things around that time that were just starting. People aren't really buying CDs. The phone never rings. I don't get any requests. Uh, I'm playing retro stuff. You know, I'm not playing the new hip-hop, the new pop, the new whatever. I'm playing things that kind of make more sense to me now as an adult, like the 80s music I grew up with as a kid. The Huey Lewis, the Smiths, the Cure, the Van Halen, the whatever, right? I'm playing this on native radio. I'm making playlists. You know, I'm trying to make it into an art form or make it flow together so it sounds good. You know, it's the world's changed a little bit. It's still entertaining. There's still people that are listening to it, but it's definitely its own niche. So, from 2011 to 2014, broadcasting, I broadcast the local games. You know, it's a public station. I broadcast the local sports games. I do a lot of that that kind of stuff as every other DJ does there. You know, every every other DJ that works there. You know, um, I'm not speaking for everybody. I'm speaking for myself, my own experience. They're all talented people. They're all uh, hard workers. And I think they would understand that being a radio disc jockey at a native station, you know, it comes with the... How do I want to put this? It comes with... I don't want to say a burden, but it does come with some feels. You know what I'm saying? Like an obligation? It's an obligation. You know, we, we did this a decade earlier. Now we're doing it again, and it feels a little different. It doesn't have... The old radio station feel. This is the new the, the current station now. Um, and I don't want to plug anything. The current station. It it does have just I, I am not dogging it one bit. It doesn't I'm not saying it's lacking magic or anything. It's just it doesn't have to me at this point, you know, it, it didn't have that youthful passion, but it has an adult, mature passion, you know, so there's a little bit of a different lane. Well, I mean it's also a different station. It's a different station. It's a different, it's different building, different call letters, different building, you know, different manager, different a few different staff members, you know, some younger guys that are, you know, they're pretty cool kids, you know, they're 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 good. They're playing they're playing college you know, uh, formats. And it's it's good. Like it's like this is just wow, where was this stuff? I mean, we were listening to this when it was our turn. You know, this is in the year 2000. It was Fat Boy Slim or it was uh, Chemical Brothers or it was whatever. That music has evolved into mm-hmm. whatever these new things were. Mm-hmm. And I dug it. I dug that. But then again, you know, of course, we're playing the old classic country. Sal, God rest his soul, he's still playing rock and roll on Saturdays. You know, uh, I, Whitney, she's playing the blues. Sounds great. Deeds, he's still playing uh, alternative, new alternative. Joker, he's still playing classic rock. I'm playing... Now, I could play classic 90s. I mean, and that's already our kind of our format anyway. That demographic is now the native population listening to the station. So, you know, managers playing that. So I play the old stuff because it's, it feels okay to me. The influential things when I was a kid now feel like, hey, you know what? I have nostalgia for it. I can play it on the radio. It still sounds good. That, that's where the career went. And I'm still in gaming all these years later. I ended in 2014 voluntarily. I stepped back from radio. Did a few live gigs here and there. Um, Do I have a passion for it? Absolutely. Do I miss it? Absolutely. Do I have ideas for native radio? Absolutely. Um, Implementing them, that's the next big challenge in a career
0: path. So let's transition there. Um, Opportunities, right? Um, Usually this is the question I ask artists. How do you seek opportunities? And these things, um, they... Opportunities come and go depending on the place where the person isn't within their career. So when you're younger, you're hustling more. You're trying to make a name for yourself. You say yes to everything. The older you get, usually uh, these things come towards you, the more experience that you have. Your your path is different. Um, you know, you, you were a DJ in two different eras of radio. Um, and I think we're in another era now where... Uh, it, like you had said, you know, um, there are different platforms now. Um, I guess w- how have opportunities presented themselves or how are you looking at opportunities moving forward?
1: Moving forward. I look at it as there's multiple mediums broadcasting. Yeah, I could host a YouTube channel or a podcast channel or, uh, get back into live DJing somewhere, you know, um, I know that the tribe is expanded into television broadcasting they're touching into it. You know, it's, it's mostly just title cards and occasionally some interviews or whatever. Uh, there's different mediums of, of broadcasting, getting those opportunities out there is, you know, they present themselves. Do I want to take it? Do I want the challenge? Uh, is it something I'm going to have passion for? Um, are the people I'm working with, are they going to have the respect for me and my position and my skill and what I do? You know, are they going to know the boundary lines when I step up and say, Hey, um, I think we should go a direction of this, or this is where I stand on this. But they don't respect that. They don't respect that decision. Sometimes you're like, hey, okay. You know, really, it all boils down to choice. And if it's a good opportunity and you're going to be respected doing it, then good. But if not, you know what? Hey, I, I got talent. I can go somewhere else or I'm going to use it and explore other means. Eventually, do I want to get back into entertaining people? And that's, you know, it's not just for my amusement. I mean, I want to amuse people with my art or my uh, picking choices of song or whatever, you know. I'm not just some wedding DJ, right, you know, but hey, maybe I am to some people. Whatever. However you see me is how you see me. The opportunities that come along, if it's a good one, jump at it. I tell that to everybody. If it's not a good one, sometimes you got to walk. It all depends on your choice because sometimes hey you know what it it works out for you and other times it it doesn't work you know you just have to be okay with it you have to be okay with that choice sometimes Hmm. it's the best i can answer that one Hmm. and what would you say to the
0: 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this conversation
1: i would say have something to fall back on but don't ever give up on your passion whether it be drawing whether it be Building models or dreaming of being an engineer, uh, serving your country or doing your duty to for others, uh, make things more than just yourself. You know, uh, we live in an era where I think people are really in touch with themselves and touch with their feelings. But remember that. There's less fortunate out there. You know, think about those. Think before you act. Think before you react. Um, give it time. Count to 10. You know, 22, 18, 22, I'd t- tell myself at 18, okay, apply for those colleges. You didn't get accepted accepted to five colleges. Okay, I'm going to try five more. I applied to five colleges. I got rejected from all of them. Okay, I'm going to try more. I'm going to find opportunity out there. I'm going to make something of myself with my skills and still come home at the end of the day with some humble brag. But be humble ultimately because you know what? What's your legacy going to be? At 22. The world's your oyster if you make it. But don't let time slip away. Don't let it slip away. Because once it's gone, it is gone. I look back and reflect. Because time's not linear to me in my memory and how my brain works. I can recall something from 30 years ago like it was that. And I can feel it and I can hear it. Driving up the last two days, driving around back home, it's 1994. It's hazy. It's hazy. It's a hot summer. I'm ready to drive out to the farm place where I grew up, and take a look around, and smell the corn, and smell the gravel dust, and see the ponds. And that's where I was in that moment. That moment, I had to move. I was uh, our 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 whole family had moved. We basically got evicted. And in that moment, it was a life changing event. Over the course of three, four, five days, those things changed the course of my life. You never know when something can change the course of your life. So make the most of what you have while you have it. Be humble about it. Do unto others. Be kind. Smile. Yeah, things go bad. Bad days happen. They're going to happen all the time. Good days happen. Remember them. Wokiksuye suye. suye. Remember them. Remember those that mean the most. Because once they're gone, that's it the legacies they leave, the memories they give you last you eternal in your mind.
0: My, uh, I don't know when this was, probably 96, 95, 96. I don't think I'd moved out yet. And, um, I found in uh, my dad's handy van in the woods there, (laughs) I found a, a track. (laughs) I brought it in the house and he had an old stereo one of those those, uh, countertop stereos Mm -hmm. lifted up, record player radio with a cassette 8-track player so I popped that 8-track in there and I said, hey my dad came in, in the back door he was out in the garden and he comes in, I said, dad I was like, listen to this song like punch the button I forget what track it was and uh first words that came up hey jude (laughs) it was a beatles a track it was the blue it was the blue compilation album Hmm. and hey jude kicks in and my dad stood there for a second and he kind of he he sort of looked up and passed me and he said oh yeah i remember this (laughs) and he went somewhere yeah And, you know, when you you talk about how time isn't linear, I think that's a a thing with with us natives. You know, we we look Mm -hmm. at time differently. And for a moment, Dad went back to 68 or 69 back in California. And um, that is probably as close to a bonding moment me and my dad ever had. (laughs) And he stood there for the entire seven minutes of that song. Wow. And he had this smile on his face. And I always, I always go back to that moment. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I think, I think back to our time, the short time that we had, uh, the, the midnight show, the black coffee show. Um, it was, it was ritual, you know, coming yeah. up there, grabbing, grabbing those cappuccinos and driving out there and, and, uh, you know, it's a very special time for me. So I'm glad, I'm glad we're able to sort of reflect on that tonight. Same
1: here. I hope
0: we have those in the future.
1: I think we will. I think, I certainly think that there are <clears throat> all human beings, men, women, children, elders. There's certain rites of passage you go through. You know, as a young people, you know, we go through rites of passage. Uh, some of those things are music or things that stick with us and caused that moment, that that spark that lit that flame that caused that memory to stick there. And we can go back. And one of them is, you know, music, which is why I was considered being a DJ, a little bit of an art form. I wanna bring memories back for people. When I play something for them, okay. I'm sitting there and I'm playing a song and an elder and an elder sitting there and she's I remember this. I was working at the Circle of Nations School in 1967 when this was popular. Mm. This takes me back, and I haven't heard it in 53 years. Mm. Wow. Last year during COVID, and I'll kind of close with this. Last year during COVID, I came across a song that my mom would sing to us as a kid, and it's uh, We Will Laugh in the Sunshine. And I hadn't heard it in 30 years, and it was very, very emotional because hearing that and playing it for her, And she hadn't heard it in years either. You know, she barely, like, remember, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, It was that moment in time of, will this be the last moment? Will this be the last day I see her? You know, will this be the last day I see somebody? You know, you never know. But that moment is special to each and every one of, everybody listening. You may all have those moments. It is special. Hold it close to your heart. Be thankful you had it. Make more of them. That's
0: it. Eric, thank you for this.
1: Thank you. Whoopi de tonka, do What can I say? Doksha. <laughs> Doksha. 89.3 FM is KSWS, the voice of the Dakota Nation. Going late tonight. Hope you enjoy the show. Gonna go another half hour, maybe even longer, depending on you, the listener. If you want to hear something, you know, I'm going to, open, uh, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm sorry. If you still want to talk to me, though, call me up
0: 698-3564. And that does it for this episode of five playing questions. I want to thank Eric again for his time and sharing his story with us. And I have to admit, it was a real treat to be able to sit down um, on microphones again and to share space and reminisce about the old days. You know, as he said, um, and I said at the beginning of this episode, we had a, a show together uh, 20 years ago, and it was, it was really something special. And I was going through something in my life at the time that the music and the travel, because I live three hours away, uh, the travel and the getting the coffee and having music and just talking through things, um, it was a really special time that I've always cherished. And to be able to have a glimpse of that again uh, for this episode is really something special. Now, Eric is a dedicated civil servant, like I said. And so that dedication has taken him away from the microphone for a long time. And one, it's a tribute to his character, but it's kind of at a loss for the community, who I think really needs um, a person with integrity and entertainment uh, coming over the radio waves. And so I do know that Eric is working out um, plans for a new podcast, and I'm excited to see what that is. And when that comes to fruition, I will definitely be promoting it on, on this series. So that will be something that's coming. And who knows, maybe uh, he and I can even resurrect that old show in podcast form too. I think that'd be pretty amazing. So uh, I look forward to see what Eric's doing next. Also, very importantly, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. Please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams, Ikafami Akana, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you find us on social media, and the PlainsArt.org website. There you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. And if you have a suggestion for someone to interview, please find us on Facebook and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. So please take care of yourself and we will see you next week. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.